From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Uh, Father Wade is in the house, as you can see, in his own house, in his own cell, in his own house. Uh, Ready to take your questions today on Open Line Tuesday. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside the United States and Canada at one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. Or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. And Father, I understand there's a bunch of ladies running around here who know everything about the four last things. <laughs> you bet. You bet there is, Jack. I had a, a wonderful time last evening with uh, the final webinar for the five-week book study on my book, The Four Last Things, that was conducted by Women of Grace and led by Sue Brinkman. So we thank them for using my book in that five-week uh, book study. And uh, I had joined them for the uh, opening webinar uh, f- five weeks ago, and then I would join them again last night for the closing. And uh, just a, a, a real faithful, fun group to be with last evening for that hour. And so I thank uh, Sue Brink- Brinkman for her assistance in carrying that out, and of course, uh, Johnette for being behind the scenes with all that. And uh, they just seemed like a, a dynamic, uh, joyful, faithful Catholic group of women, and I thank them all. Oh! Oh, that's right. Oh, I say to you. Especially since December 17th, and this is my springboard topic for the day, the O antiphons that I've mentioned a little bit in previous weeks. Uh, during these last days of Advent, we hear about these O antiphons, and I want to talk a little bit about their history and meaning. So the O antiphons are an ancient liturgical antiphon itself, or a response, another way of saying a response, sung or recited during the last seven days of Advent, that is, one each day from December 17th through December 23rd, inclusive, as part of the liturgy of the hours, specifically the evening canticle magnificat of Mary they serve for. The liturgy of the hours is the scriptural liturgy which the church prays throughout the 24-hour day with five to seven different prayer periods, depending upon whether or not the religious order or group in question is monastic or active. 
Vespers or evening prayer is the period in which we hear the O Antiphons recited or sung during the final days of Advent from the 17th to the 23rd, as I said, and uh, also uh, as the beginning and ending antiphon to the Magnificat itself. The O Antiphons are comprised of various titles of Jesus Christ foretold in the Old Testament from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Regarding their composition into sacred hymnody, no one really knows the exact origin of the O Antiphons to put to music, but Christians have been singing them since at least the 5th century. And it is known, too, that the Roman philosopher Boethius mentions the seven O Antiphons in the text of his famous work, The Consolation of Philosophy. How about that? When heard, one might recognize some of the words because the O Antiphons are the basis of the popular sacred hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel heard during the liturgical season of Advent. In fact, that hymn has seven verses, one after each antiphon, right? Again, each antiphon begins with the title of Jesus Christ taken from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And if one does a little detective work to figure out what the various titles mean, Scripture provides many revealing clues. For example, December 17th, we hear, O wisdom, the Latin is O sapientia, coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other, mightily and sweetly ordering all things. Come and teach us the way of prudence. That's from Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 28. December 18th, we hear, O Adonai, same in the Latin, O Adonai, the leader of the house of Israel who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai. Come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. And that is from Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 33. December 19th, we hear, O root of Jesse's stem, O Radix Jesse, huh? standing as a sign among the peoples before you kings will shut their mouths. To you the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us and delay no longer with your coming. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 11 again, verses 1 and 10 respectively. And on December 20th, the fourth day of these seven antiphons, we hear, O King of David, O Clavis Davidica, the scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut, you shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house. That's from Isaiah 22, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 42. And also is a hearkening to Matthew 16, verse 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against her. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. On the fifth day, Jack... On December 21st, today, in fact, we have O Morning Star, or O Rising Dawn, another translation. The Latin is simply O Oriens. It reads, Splendor of light, eternal and sun of righteousness. Come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. From Isaiah 9, huh? December 22nd, tomorrow we have O King of the Nations, O Rex Gentium and their desire, the cornerstone making both one. Come and save the human race, which you fashioned from clay. That's Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 28. And December 23rd, the last of the seven, we have O Emmanuel, O God with us, huh? O King and our lawgiver, the hope of the nations and their Savior, 
Come and save us, O Lord our God. And that is from Isaiah 7, verse 14. So there you have it, the 17th through the 23rd inclusive, the famous 7-0 antiphons in sacred hymnody, at least dating back to the 5th century, with Boethius even mentioning them in his Consolation of Philosophy. And worth mentioning too, Jack, is that in the daily celebration of the Eucharist, Holy Mass, also from December 17th through December 23rd, the O antiphons are incorporated into the Alleluia verse when the Alleluia is sung each day before the gospel. Now, for the morning of the 24th, which to this year uh, falls on the Friday, we also have a weekday morning Mass, right? So one of those is repeated, and this year uh, we have in the lectionary the O Nations one, O Gentium, O, o Light of Nations, uh, being repeated for the eighth day, the, the morning Mass, which is for the, the weekday morning before the midnight Mass is celebrated. And so you'll have one of those each year repeated. So again, the O Antiphons, huh? Uh, Advent, we said earlier a few weeks ago, has a twofold character as a season of, of to prepare us for Christmas when Christ's first coming to us is remembered, and as a season when that remembrance directs the mind and heart to await Christ's second coming at the end of time. And so Advent is thus a period for both devout and joyful expectation. So I invite our listeners today, Jack, to call up and tell us about maybe some early Christmas traditions in your family that may take place even towards the end of Advent. Uh, maybe the family's grown to such a size, praise God, uh, extended family-wise, that some of the individual families might have established some traditions that take place just before Christmas, or maybe a particular Advent tradition. Give us a call, tell us what it is, and uh, tell us specifically if by chance the O antiphons uh, fit into your uh, liturgical um, remembrance or recognition of the Advent season, especially as it draws to a close. And uh, remember what St. Augustine says uh, regarding Advent, let us not forget Christ's first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second. And we look to Advent as this twofold character regarding both uh, Christ's first and second comings. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, you can uh, always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. And we're looking to hear from you ladies who were part of the book study led by Sue Brinkman, the Women of Grace book study, on Father Wade's book, The Four Last Things, Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. And uh, we've already had one uh, when we come out of the, the little timeout here. We've got Bertha on YouTube who was part of the study, and we'll get to her question Wait. right away. We want to hear uh, from the rest of you uh, that were part of that book study with Father Wade uh, culminating last night, led by Sue Brinkman. And the number is 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
You know, hot off the presses for December from EWTN Publishing, adoption. Should you? Could you? And then what? Straight answers from a psychologist and adoptive father of 10, our very own Dr. Ray Gurendi. And Dr. Ray, drawing from professional and personal experience as well as scientific research, he provides authentic answers to challenging real-life questions regarding adoption. For instance, adopting children of various ages and if it will impact birth order. Uh, Adopting children of other races, Dr. Ray has a lot of experience with that, and whether adoptive children should be treated differently. It's all addressed in this new book from Dr. Ray Garendi, Uh, Adoption, Should You, Could You, and Then What?, Available at EWTN's Religious Catalog, that's EWTNRC.com, by Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. As we mentioned, um, Berta is uh, watching us on YouTube, and she was part of that Women of Grace book study. And she writes in, Father Wade, thank you for answering so many questions last night at our last Women of Grace book study on the four last things. When you mentioned in your book about the atonement, that we have to do as part of our purification in purgatory, how is suffering related and or unrelated to this atonement? In other words, does it make up for some of that atonement? It does. It makes up for some of that temporal punishment due to sin. So, for example, uh, we see suffering as salvific. We see suffering as redemptive, because we are members of the body of Christ, and he is the head of that body, and he suffered for us. His body literally went to the cross. He suffered and died for us. And so we see in his own life um, the embracing of suffering, the embracing of of uh, taking something that's a, a perceived physical evil and bringing good out of it, right? And so that's what our goal is. Our goal is to do just that. So uh, in addition to um, seeking out plenary indulgences, um, c- carrying out other practices, not for the works or practices themselves, but for the charity they help prosper, for example, the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, can also work towards that, uh, the atonement, uh, to atone for one's temporal punishment, thereby not needing to atone for it, hopefully at the time of their earthly death, thereby meriting the greatest of all graces of entering heaven immediately upon their death, which is God's plan A for us, because purgatory is only about one thing and one thing only, the need to atone for temporal punishment that is not yet atoned for at the time of a person's earthly death, meaning, therefore, if at the time of a person's earthly death their temporal punishment has been atoned for, uh, then they enter heaven immediately. Uh, the Catechism is very clear in the constant teaching tradition of the Church that whereas hell is immediate for the soul who dies in a state of purposeful, unrepentant mortal sin, the entrance into heaven can either be immediate or delayed, uh, if delayed via purgatory based on whether or not temporal punishment is still due at the moment of death. So the way we can atone for this temporal punishment prior to our death is, is as Berta implies there, uh, is the embracing of suffering as something redemptive and salvific, and not just physical suffering, but all psychological suffering, for example. Uh, but in addition to that suffering, we can also seek out through the church's treasury of merits, one for her, the bride, by her bridegroom, Jesus Christ, 
everything he won for all of his members in the church through his dying on the cross and successively through the entire Paschal Mystery, the four-event event of his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. The church dispenses from the treasury of merits won for her by her bridegroom uh, the plenary indulgence or the partial indulgence. And so every Catholic home library should have the book of indulgences, over 250 ways to obtain a plenary indulgence. Again, not for the work itself, the spiritual work that's fulfilled in whatever the particular indulgence is that the person seeking uh, to do the spiritual work of, but for the charity uh, that it fosters, not only through the supernatural virtues, but through the natural virtues. Um, and, and that's an important point, too. Uh, so so uh, through partic participating in active sacramental life, we can offer Mass for our past sins. So my Holy Communion, my Mass intention, can be offered for continued healing of my f past sins, both mortal and venial, and offering those uh, to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. That's a way of atonement. Uh, how about the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. Uh, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. So, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. But as far as one's personal life, one's personal temporal punishment, or applying the suffering for the temporal punishment of a deceased one that you're wishing to offer that for an alleviation of their own pain in purgatory, there's various ways you can do it, and embracing the salvific aspect of suffering is one of those ways. Uh, we're going to lead off today in the Maritime Provinces. We're heading up to New Brunswick in uh, Canada. Pierre is uh, in New Brunswick today, and he is listening to us via Sirius XM Channel 130. Pierre, you are on with Father Wade. Yes, hi, Father Wade. I want to thank you. I've watched every one of your homilies at, the, at Our Lady of uh, the Angels Monastery there uh, when you were doing your your week. I believe you were there for a week. So very, very, very great homilies. Thank you. Thank you, Pierre. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. The reason for my call today is um, I, I just lost uh, uh, an uncle to, uh, to, to well, I, I would say to, to cancer. He had stage 4 cancer. Um, but I, I, I spent some time with him in the last week or so to try to help him with his care, and um, he, he opted to, to, to choose assisted suicide. And here in Canada, as you know, we have legalized assisted suicide. And um, I, I, just, I just wanted to kind of understand basically uh, what, what is the Church's teaching pastorally for that, because I found that he, he didn't want a priest. Um, I asked him if he wanted a priest, and he didn't want a priest um, before he passed. But um, he he chose to do that, and um, he, he wanted me to go and see him for the last time, um, and, and I did so. But he he had a prerequisite that I didn't bring up assisted suicide, and and I I chose you know to to go and see him and, and to be prayerfully with him and 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 to try to uh, be present for him and. Um, but he he basically uh, uh, was kind of um, telling me or or I guess trying to to justify his decision throughout it. So I didn't bring it up with him, but he he was basically adamant that he he wanted to go that way. So he had a, a terminal to stage four cancer, brain cancer. So my 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 dilemma is that uh, you know there there was no 
um, I think uh, ultimately he he was one of uh, categorized as a nun, you know, and 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 O N E, a Catholic who who basically didn't practice. Yeah. But uh, the church, um, I, I, from what I understand, I don't know the full details, but I, I just returning from the service now that um, um, there was a priest at the funeral home and there was a a prayer prayer service. So I. I I feel a little bit of, of uneasiness about the whole thing. Um, yeah, and right, and rightly so. You know, in, in the case of, of deliberate euthanasia or deliberate physician-assisted suicide, the final action of a person's life uh, has been chosen in violation of the clear teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church, which upholds those teachings. Uh, we could even say that it's an, it's an act that expresses a serious defect in belief and in unity with the faithful in regards to the salvific aspect of suffering, something that our uh, our previous um, uh, uh, person who, who wrote us an email uh, or, or a text uh, asked about the salvific aspect of suffering. Um, and so people like yourself do feel morally conflicted because of how the loved one chose to end their life. Uh, it is the Church's practice that a, faith, that, a, that a Catholic funeral Mass is not appropriate when such a wrongful act and separation of belief has taken place. That's clear in Canon 1134 of the Code of Canon Law. So it is correct that he did not receive a funeral Mass. And, and to be quite honest with you, how you describe the case, I, I'm very doubtful that he would have wanted one anyway. Um, so, so, but let's say he did, but yet simultaneously chose to end his life purposefully through euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide. The, the church cannot provide a funeral mass in such a case, clearly because it's in chosen, chosen violation of God's law. Now, it is true that the church offers funeral masses in most cases of suicide, okay? That, but there's a clear difference between an individual death by suicide and euthanasia by physician-assisted suicide, right? When a person takes his or her own life, the response is one of sadness, sorrow, and the feeling of helpless loss. We don't know where their faculties were when they did it, say, through you know, self-cutting or stabbing or, or through, a, through a, 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 a gunshot to themselves or a hanging or whatever. Uh, the, the most common thought spoken is he or she really didn't know what they were doing. Where were they at? What was, what was their life like? Was a, a life strung out on drugs? What was it? Such a death is ascribed to, to fear or some uncontrollable um, psychological uh, compulsion, we could even say, usually acted on in isolation. And so it is because of these factors which, which indicate that the person's free will is not fully involved that the church can offer a funeral mass for such individuals. But physician-assisted suicide, however, uh, such as your relative, I believe you said it was an uncle, is presented as, as something fully reasonable that they chose, that they rationally chose, and their own competent response to terminal illness and suffering. It has its own uh, eligibility requirements the Church teaches, including uh, multiple assessments, a waiting period after the decision has been made, and, and, and ongoing confirmation of informed consent, uh, right up to the final moment before the fatal dosage of medication is administered. Um, the, the secular government—I said Church uh, requires, I meant to say the government requires these steps before it's actually done. And so there's competence here when, when it's finally chosen, right? This is completely a different process meant to emphasize the dying patient's autonomy and their free choice. Uh, it is not an acceptance of death as part of God's plan because it fails to express hope and trust 
uh, in the in the final um, and decisive choice we could even say of our life here on earth, dying a holy death in Jesus Christ. And mind you, there are many many drugs that are permitted. Uh, when one chooses no longer to pursue extraordinary means of self-sustainment, and, and with brain cancer, I presume extraordinary means are, are only to a certain point, and at that point, when it's met, like stage four, as you said a couple of times, it's, it's just the body's naturally beginning to shut down. Well, there's drugs that can keep the person totally comfortable pain-free, even if they're comatose or semi-comatose. And the church teaches you can take those so the person wouldn't feel the pain. They wouldn't have cognizance of the pain. And, and that can still be offered as uniting your suffering to Christ on the cross, as su- something salvific. But instead, when the person purposefully chooses doctor-assisted suicide, there's a problem here. It's different from other non-doctor-assisted suicides. When the person does it on their own, you know, at home or in an isolated warehouse, or they take their own life. So I'll finish this up when I come back, because it's a very, very important question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. We're talking to Pierre in Moncton, New Brunswick, up in Canada, about uh, his uncle who uh, made the decision of uh, ending his uh, battle with cancer via uh, assisted suicide. Yeah, so I just want to wrap up for Pierre his question. You know, our our Catholic faith requires us to be clear and consistent in our beliefs and practices, right? We do not approve or condone in any way euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide, nor do we want to give scandal. This is the other part of it. Nor do we want to give public scandal to those who may be sacrificing greatly to remain faithful to Christ's teachings— and their practical demands in daily life, in ethical terms, uh, scandal means an, an action which causes someone else to stumble or, or to make it harder for them to act in a morally good way. We do not seek to punish the dead or the living by refusing a funeral mass. That's not the intention here. We simply wish to remain true to the one, capital O, to the one to whom we all belong, Jesus Christ, who died for us and will, who will come to judge the living and the dead, and and the world by fires. So we we want to be faithful to the teachings that he's left, the church he founded, and so we we have to uh, deny a funeral mass for those particular cases, which are different from suicides that are non-physician assisted suicides. Now, all that said, all that said, I want to point out that you know Pierre admitted that his his conscience was pricked, you know, and th- that's a good thing. Something didn't seem quite quite right with his uncle. Now, it sounds like there was a priest present for uh, prayers at the funeral home. Now, whether or not your particular diocesan bishop there in Canada permits that, it's clear that church teaching regarding canon law, uh, that it's it's canon 1184, that a funeral mass is forbidden, it cannot be given. 
Um, I would have to research to see if it's still permissible to have prayers at the funeral home like you yourself witnessed, Pierre, for your uncle. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, that it was permitted. But the funeral mass, the celebration of the Eucharist, the source and summit of the entire Christian life would not be able to be celebrated. And then I just want to uh, finish by saying this. Pray for the blessed repose of your uncle's soul. Pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet for him. Uh, Pray for those who are in similar situations because they don't have the truth or they don't have the heroic virtue to embrace the salvific and heroic aspect of suffering by accepting the drugs even that make them comfortable in such a stage four cancer state. Um, which will even make them comatose so they're not cognizant of the pain. Give, pray for them to have the courage to do even that, because again, even that can be offered up as salvific. Um, and, and so uh, pray for your uncle, pray for the blessed repose of his soul, and never ever give up on the mercy of God. God's mercy is wider than any sin, and we can never ever forget that. And so thank you, Pierre, for a great witness question regarding the church's teaching on, on euthanasia. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this too. It's not the it's not the church's issue that the funeral mass is being denied. The church has to stand up for the truth. It's the person who purposefully chose the physician-assisted suicide. It's, the ball is in their court. It's because of them that they forced the church to do what she did. They had the choice to choose otherwise, and they didn't. And this, mind you, after a series of stages that the government requires to make sure that the person is fully cognizant and aware of the of the decision they're making. Uh, so, so that's how we know that the person truly, sincerely, uh, knowingly wanted to end their life through physician-assisted suicide because of these stages. And, and, and so there's a, there's a, a clear uh, obstinacy there towards the teachings of Christ, uh, through the teachings of the teachings of Jesus Christ, which his bride, the church, which he founded, has to uphold. So a great question, Pierre, on this teaching, this very, very important teaching, and thank you so much. A couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your questions today at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next stop is Fort Mill, South Carolina. Stacy is in South Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Stacy, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, and uh, I think it's providential that I called right when I did, because I was actually calling about the O-antiphon, but oh, great. my mother yeah, died of um, glioblastoma, and mm-hmm. she had um, four months, which is a terminal brain tumor, and she had four months from her diagnosis to when she passed away on um, Easter Sunday, a couple hours before um, Mother Angelica herself passed away. Yeah, and whom my mother loved. So my, I had a semi-vision that, I'll just say, I just knew in my heart that when she was diagnosed that day, after the biopsy came back in the hospital, I saw kind of a crown of my 12 children around my mother's head, um, and that she would die in my bedroom. And that's actually how she died, with us singing the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Um, Yeah. And so my message, and this was a year after that Brittany Maynard case of a young woman who chose assisted suicide, and she publicized it because of glioblastoma, which at the time my mother was very much against. And um, when her moment came, she heroically stepped into the deep, and God gave everybody the grace, including my mom, to beautifully withstand this um, terrible, terrible disease 
and he rewarded us with real mercy and peace. So to anybody who's facing anything like that, just trust in the mercy and, and all the preparation that you've done um, through your prayers throughout the, throughout the years of your rosaries. God will is not stingy in returning, opening up that treasury, and I saw it firsthand. So <laughs> You know, you know, Stacy, you bring to mind, uh, if, even going back as a seminarian, when I would go pray with families at, at the bedside of a dying loved one, and especially as a deacon, as a priest, and, and most especially as a priest, administering the last rites to the person on their deathbed. When I walk in the room, whether it's a hospital or whether it's um, the, the family home, as soon as I walk into the room where the, where the person who's dying is and they're surrounded by loved ones, you can tell immediately by the joy that is present or the joy that is absent at the time of this person's passing, whether or not the family practices their Catholic faith. If there's a heaviness, a foreboding, even a brooding when they see the Roman collar walk in the room, you know that this family, or at least the majority in the room, standing around the bedside of the dying loved one, don't practice the faith. They have animosity towards the faith. They'll permit the last rites, but somehow, some way, they're not happy that the priest is there. And then when you walk in and you see joy, and you might even walk in and the family's praying the rosary or the family's praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, it, it's incredible. You, you just know the people, the, the, the family members gathered, the extended family members that are gathered. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And they're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of death for the loved one that's dying right in front of them. They're not afraid of death for themselves. They're more adequately, they become more adequately prepared for their own death in the future by having witnessed grandma or mom have such a holy and quote unquote provided for death with the last rites and its five constituent elements that make it up. You know, the, the confession if the person is able to go and wants to go, the anointing of the sick, the prayers of commendation for the dying, which includes the litany of the saints, holy viaticum if they're able to receive their final holy communion, and then the apostolic pardon. I mean, how awesome is that? To have all five or, or any number thereof, those five elements of, of what constitute the last rites, administer to the loved one and to witness that and, and to see the loved one have such consolation and peace in their final hours on their deathbed. It's just a beautiful thing. And, and you saying that your, your loved ones, your, your 12 kids and others were around her bed, your mom's bed, in your home. She had the grace of dying at home. Not everybody has that grace. My mom did not have that grace. But my father had that grace. And both had very beautiful and provided for deaths. Um, but when you said your family was, was praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, I believe you said you were singing it or chanting it as a family. What a beautiful thing. And the devil hates all that, by the way. The devil can't stand it. So uh, more reason for the family members that you know are still living who partook of such a beautiful um, uh, image of seeing grandma die or mom dying, uh, more reason for them to stay strong in their faith, because the devil won't be happy with them. So that's a, that's a beautiful witness there. Did you also have an Advent witness you wanted to give? Something that, that yes. you do of in, in regards to a tradition, an Advent tradition? Yeah, well, actually, you just segued into it so beautifully, and I think the singing did, too, because for uh, my youngest is 11, and my oldest is 33, with uh, four grandkids and one another little grandson, too. And so for about at least 25 years, we've been singing um, all Advent as we light the candles. Oh, come on, come on, None of us have good voices, so it's always a point of fun family friction who starts the note and the tempo, <laughs> but it's great fun. And then at the end of singing it, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And whoever's the littlest, which also ensues in a big, you know, rumble to the light switch, um, 
as if it, nobody knows who the youngest is, um, flicks on the lights. And then as we get into um, December 17th, um, we add in whatever the O antiphon is, in, in addition to O come, O come, Emmanuel. So we sing two verses, and it's it was so, uh, and God is just so oh, merciful in giving you back um, yeah. more than you have given him. So now I have um, some of my adult children visiting with their kids, and there's my daughter with her little 20-month-old who eats before everybody else, sitting at his little high chair with our my little advent wreath, and we all gather, even though we're cooking dinner, we're not eating. And she sings, oh, come up, tell me, <laughs> and he blesses his little self. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's just, that is the beginning of heaven on earth. So keep persevering families out there. It's worth it yes. whether you ever have a good feeling or not. But now, and you God said that you and your husband had 12 children, correct? Yes, we okay, do. Okay, and, and are they all in state there with you, or are they peppered throughout different states? Uh, they're around, they're peppered around, four still at home, two in okay. college. Okay, great. And, and how many grandchildren so far? How many grandchildren? So we have four grandchildren, and then another baby is due, so okay. they're coming. Well, then you <laughs> have five grandchildren. You, you have, five have five grandchildren, grand- then. <laughs> Totally, you know, I it's, have five children. I know it's it's a natural slip of the tongue in our in our way of thinking. We don't mean anything by it at all. But when you say a woman is expecting a child, no, she's already with child. This is a kind of language we need to use, and I know it's it's very easy to do. Don't get me wrong; I'm just as guilty of it as well. But you have five grandchildren. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, Stacy, thank you for such a great, great witness call, and and God bless you all. And you know, I'm sure the little ones especially look forward to that rose-colored candle uh, for the third Sunday of Advent. God Gaudete Sunday, and they want to light that one, because that, that mark's just over halfway done with the liturgical season of Advent, right? Do they get excited about the rose candle? Oh, I have five sons and three grandsons, including the son, grandson that's not born, and all little boys are pyromaniacs, so of course they yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Okay, that's a joke, but yeah, they love like the candle. <laughs> well, look at it as the flame. Look at it as all those guys in your family, all those boys, the flame of the Holy Spirit enlivening their lives. Let's look at it that way, and hopefully St. Joseph will have a great, uh, a great take on their lives as well and influence them as well with his own life as, as the head of the Holy Family. Amen? Amen, Father. Thank all right, Stacy, thank you so much for a great call. 833-288-EWTN. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. We want to know about your Advent traditions. And also we want to hear from you ladies who were part of the the Women of Grace book study on Father Wade's book, The Four Last Things. Uh, another one of those gals, Deanna, is also watching us on YouTube today. And she said... Um, you mentioned in the book study that we should read a biography of a saint every week. I have found some to be questionable. What is a good source for such books? Okay, she's right. When I said that, I meant it in the context of a short, condensed version of the lives of the saints, where maybe you can take a saint's life each day, like a 365-day reader as part of your daily spiritual reading, and in those cases, those compilations of the saints' lives, each saint's life is, is very condensed, maybe a page to a page and a half long. Um, or, or get a, a 52-week reader, where you're meant to take one saint a week, 
and maybe it's a three to four page life of that saint. It, it, you, it, it's up to your schedule, and, and there's no hard and fast rule on this. Um, you could get a, a complete volume set of Butler's Lives of the Saints uh, that, that has a, a very long entries on the different saints' lives if you want to take on something more heavy, you know, uh, uh, more lengthy. Uh, but, but in the context that I mentioned to the ladies on the webinar, Jack, it was specifically uh, to, to try to find a daily reader of a saint where each saint's life is maybe a page to a page and a half long. And I told them, I said, pay particular attention. And I say this in my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. I'm holding it up right now uh, for those of you watching live on our Facebook feed or our YouTube feed. In, in chapter five, which is titled uh, The Necessity of the Spiritual Life. So the five chapters are death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and then the necessity of the spiritual life. It's in chapter five, The Necessity of the Spiritual Life, where I mention this. Try to find a, a good condensed version of Lives of the Saints that you can take one on each day or once a week, where each saint's life is maybe a page to a page and a half long, and pay particular attention to those saints who had the same vocation and state in life as you. So for example, wives and mothers, pay particular attention to the wives and mother saints. Husbands and fathers, pay particular attention to the husband and father saints. Priests, diocesan or priest, religious orders, pay particular attention to those priests who were either diocesan or religious order priests, etc., or religious brothers, or active sisters, or contemplative sisters, or young people, young men, young women, like Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, or uh, Blessed uh, Gemma Galgani. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Just pay particular attention to those saints who have the same state in life and vocation as you. Now, we benefit from reading the life of any saint, that's clear. So I'm going to benefit from reading the life of a, of a wife and mother saint. I'm going to benefit from reading the life of a, of a, a, a single female saint who is single in life. No doubt, I, I benefit from reading the life of St. Maria Goretti, for example, who died at age 11. Uh, no doubt, there's no doubt about that. All that said, just pay particular attention to the saints who have the same state in life as you, because they lived in the modern world of their time, just as you live in the modern world of your time, right? If they did it, you can do it. If they achieved heroic sanctity despite their faux pas, despite their issues, dependencies, and addictions, you can do the same. Uh, if they did it, you can do it. They can achieve heroic virtue, you can. Uh, they can achieve sanctity, you can too. And, and so I like to recommend, I, I believe it's put out by Ignatius Press, is Bert Gezi's G-H-E-Z-Z-I, Bert Gezi's Voices of the Saints. And he's appeared several times with Father Mitch Pacwa on EWTN Live on Wednesday nights. Um, Voices of the Saints is the title of the text. It's, it's designed to be a 365-day reader, one each day, but you don't have to do that. You can take one a week and get through it in three years. Each saint's life is no longer than two pages, uh, page to page and a half, page and three quarters. And it's just a wonderful compilation. And what I love about it, that particular text is that in the back, he has several glossaries. So he'll have an issue, dependency, and addiction glossary. Uh, saints who had drinking problems, saints who had problems with anger. Then he's got, you know, single saints, married saints, etc. So he's got several glossaries back there, which makes it easy to, to identify what the saint's state in life was. And uh, then at the end of each saint's entry, at the bottom of that second page, he's got cross-references to other saints in the same text uh, who had a similar life or who suffered from a similar addiction. Um, or, or an issue. Maybe the issue was from outside sources thrust upon them, right? Like St. Marguerite de Ulville, the, the great Canadian patroness. Um, you know, she had an unfaithful, adulterous husband who cheated on her behind her back. She had a nasty mother-in-law who hated her. Uh, four infant deaths out of six. 
uh, personal bankruptcy, a house fire, and personal ridicule and persecution from her own bishop when she was trying to found her own religious order. You know, when I thought I was having a bad day yesterday, you know. So, so the saints, you know, they, they suffer issues that they bring on themselves, or they might suffer issues that are thrust upon them from outside sources. Either way, we can benefit from reading the lives of the saints. So I, I would like to recommend Bert Gezi's Voices of the Saints as a great place to begin um, uh, as a daily reader or a weekly reader for the lives of the saints. Be sure to check out uh, Take Two with Jerry and Debbie tomorrow at noon Eastern. Their topic tomorrow, what is your Christmas wish for the world? Share your thoughts with uh, Jerry and Debbie tomorrow on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, noon Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. You know, Father Wade, uh, one of the beauties to me as a convert uh, nearly 20 years ago now when I entered the church uh, one of the things that I found so beautiful from the very beginning of uh, uh, of my of my journey was the 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 beauty and the wisdom in the liturgical calendar. And talk yeah. a little bit about uh, about the care that Holy Mother Church has taken for our souls in uh, putting together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this flow and this living dynamic of the liturgical calendar. Yeah, exactly. Well, our secular temporal lives are meant to revolve around the liturgical life of Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, itself being based on the entire works of salvation, namely the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, Death, Resurrection, and Ascension of our Lord, but also from His uh, entering the world in His mother's womb um, at the Sacred Incarnation that we celebrate every year on March 25th, and celebrate the birth of, nine months later to the day on December 25th, uh, Christ our Lord had a, a perfect human nature, a, a human nature just like ours in, in every way but sin, uh, perfect God, perfect man, so he had a nine-month gestation, human gestation, just like I did and just like you did. Uh, and, and so we, we marvel in that, you know, we marvel, marvel in that. And let, let's remember, too, that the, the first person to rejoice at the coming of the Messiah was a fetus, his cousin John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, St. Elizabeth. So, so here's our pro-life arguments, right? God, the second person of the Trinity, chose to enter the world to save it through the womb of a woman. And not only that, but the first person to acknowledge his presence in the world in the womb of his mother was someone else in the womb of his own mother, and that is the cousin of our Lord, John the Baptist, during the great celebration of the visitation of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. So, you know, we begin with Advent. This is why the first Sunday of Advent is the New Year's Day uh, for the Christian fully for the Catholic Christian, and then we rekindle our love for our resolutions on the secular New Year's Day of January 1st, which is also the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. But the first Sunday of Advent, we begin to make our commitment renewed, that I want my personal temporal life to revolve around the the liturgical life of Holy Mother Church. Then from Advent, we move to Christmas. From Christmas, we move into Christmas tide. From Christmas tide, its closing is the presentation of, the, of our Lord in the temple, when Joseph and Mary were obedient to the law, February 2nd of every year. That closes the Christmas tide or the Christmas time season. Then we go into the first of two ordinary times. Then that ordinary time ends with uh, Lent beginning. Then Lent ends with the Easter season beginning, the great 
50-day Easter season, which celebrates his ascension 40 days after his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday, and 10 days later, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the Blessed Virgin and the Apostles in the upper room, what we call the, the, the birthday of the church, or evangelization birthday, 50 days after Easter, then that closes the Easter season. Then we go back to the second ordinary time, or we go to the second ordinary time, which uh, travels through the calendar, the secular calendar, and then ends with the great celebration of Christ the King, uh, and that is the 34th or final Sunday in Ordinary Time, which the following Sunday then again is the first Sunday of Advent. So, you know, we have this complete cycle, this rhythm of the entire liturgical year, the the conception, the birth, the celebration of the birth, um, the, the, the passion, the death, the resurrection, the, the three years of public life, which leads up to his uh, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then we have the ordinary time twice each year. Uh, hopefully our, our, our ordinary lives show forth extraordinarily during those two ordinary times by how we've been fed through Lent and Easter, by how we've been fed through Advent and Christmas. I, I kind of marvel that it's, it's kind of funny that it's ordinary time that we have twice. We don't have two Lents. We don't have two Christmas tides. We don't have two Easter's. No, but we have two ordinary times. Why is that? Well, I would like to think that it's because our ordinary lives, Jack, are meant to shine extraordinarily by having been fed through these other liturgical seasons of, of Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas and their tide seasons, uh, Easter tide and Christmas tide, are meant to shine forth in an extraordinary way during the two ordinary time periods. So the, the liturgical year is a gift, a true gift, and this is why the domestic church, the home, should show forth the different liturgical seasons through the different liturgical colors, the green for the ordinary time, the violet for both Lent and Advent, the, the white and the gold for Christmas and for Easter, etc., the red for the martyrs, um, the rose for Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, showing that it's oh, just over halfway done, the, the rose colored for Laetare Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Lent, showing that it's just halfway over as well, the Lenten season. So, uh, you know, from the tablecloth on the family dining room table to the wreath on the door and, and the color of the ribbons, let people know it's a Catholic home that follows the liturgical year. It's just a beautiful thing. And Father, uh, Ruth is watching us on Facebook Live, and we've just got about 30 seconds left. She has a progressive neurological disease, and she wants to know if she should receive the anointing of the sick monthly. Yes, she should. She's in what's called a persistent illness state, and those in a persistent illness state, like Ruth describes for herself, or ongoing cancer, for example, uh, makes them an automatic candidate for the anointing of the sick once a month, and this is why you'll often see a priest who might be stationed at a parish by himself, he has no associates, for those who are in persistent illness states who are still mobile, they can still get to the church, that priest might offer a, mo a, a monthly anointing of the sick after a homily, say on the first Saturday or the first Friday of the month, the weekday mass. He might offer that so it frees him up to have more time to see those who truly need the anointing of the sick who are not mobile he can go to their homes, and it lessens up his schedule a little bit, because those who are mobile can come to the parish to receive the anointing. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners, and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, Call screener Matt Kubensky and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. I hope you have a great rest of your Advent season. Back at it next week. Actually, back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch Pacwa. Until we get together then, God bless.